Please take your Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul's epistle to the Corinthians, the second of those epistles that we have in the Scriptures. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, we have for the past three weeks uh, been out of our normal series of sermons. We completed a series in the book of Colossians. Uh, over these past few weeks, I've been preaching topical sermons, that is, identifying certain themes or passages in the Scriptures and expounding those passages or themes. And that will continue for one more week after this week, God willing, and then we'll be in a new series of sermons uh, beginning June the 12th, Lord willing. Before we consider our passage this morning, I'd like to ask that we pray together. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we pray that you would please come by your spirit and assist us in the work of preaching, the work of hearing. Assist us in the work of receiving, the work of faith, the work of obedience. We pray that you would teach us through your word, that you would equip us and encourage us and edify us, uh, that you would help us through the Bible, through our consideration of it this morning to grow more and more into the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ, to live, to honor you, and to please you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to speak to you this morning about the subject of change. Uh, and in doing so, I want to address Christians here who feel discouraged about themselves and about the Christian life. I want to speak to believers who feel at times hopeless and defeated in their own individual Christian walk to followers of Christ who feel disillusioned with themselves, as it sometimes appears as though they are making no progress at all and seeing no real and lasting change in their lives. Christians who so easily find their view of what God is doing in their lives obstructed by various trials, by remaining sins, by personal disappointments, by depression, discouragement, and despair, and 10,000 other things we could mention. I want us all this morning to be encouraged as we consider some very basic aspects of the Bible's teaching regarding change, particularly with reference to the individual Christian. I've given this message the title, Change, in three stages. And my aim is not to say anything novel or extraordinary, but simply to remind you of a few simple truths related to the subject of change, some things of foundational importance. And so there are three things, Christian, which I wish to remind you of with reference to this theme of change from various passages in the Scriptures this morning. Three-point outline, very easy to follow. Number one, Christian, you have changed. Number two, you are changing. And number three, you will change. You have changed. You are changing. You will change. Change in three stages, or change in three tenses, past, present, and future. Consider with me, first of all, point number one, Christian, you have changed. The Bible teaches that for all those who are truly saved, they are, in the Bible's language, born again. There are other words we could use to describe the same phenomenon that the Bible uses to describe the same phenomenon. We could speak of regeneration. We speak of conversion. These words all describe the work of God who, by the power of His Holy Spirit, changes us and transforms us, awakening our consciences to our sin and our need of a Savior and enabling us at the level of our wills and affections to receive Christ freely offered to us in the Gospel. Remember, the new birth is the work of God through which He transforms us. He is the actor. We are the objects who receive His action. He causes us to be truly born again, to be born anew, born from above, to have our heart of stone removed and to give to us a heart of flesh. In regeneration and new birth, He removes our spiritual blindness. He gives us eyes to see and adore and treasure Christ as Savior and Lord. Without the new birth, listen, without the new birth, without regeneration, it is impossible to turn from sin and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. It is impossible to change. 
in any sort of lasting or meaningful way without the new birth. But new birth so changes us such that we can come to Christ, that we can turn from our sins, that we can and will be changed. Jesus described the new birth to Nicodemus. You who are familiar with the Gospel of John may know in John 3, that is the passage where Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. That is where Jesus describes the new birth to Nicodemus. There the Lord states that being born again or being born from above is required in order to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. There is no such thing as a true believer, a true Christian, who hasn't been born again. In other words, if you are to be saved, if you are to become a true Christian, you must be regenerated. You must be made new by the Spirit of God. Remember, this is God's work. God has to do a work in you if you are going to have faith and believe and turn to Christ. He must do something supernaturally by the power of His Spirit within us to change us. And now our reaction to the Lord's teaching on new birth, John 3, uh, Maybe like Nicodemus' reaction. He says, how can this be? He actually says, how can I return back into my mother's womb a second time? He took Jesus' words very literally in the sense that I'd have to be born again through my mother's womb. Perhaps Nicodemus meant by that, what does it mean to be born again? What does it actually feel like? What is the experience? What, is it, what does it entail to have this second birth that you speak of, this being born from above by God's Spirit? And it's at this point... We all need to appreciate something very important about the nature of new birth. I'm going to highlight a passage on this in just a moment. This is all by way of introduction. This is a very important point we need to appreciate. It's important to say that the new birth may be imperceptible to us at the moment in which it is wrought. This work of God supernaturally, where he removes the heart of stone, gives us a heart of flesh, causes us to be born again by the Spirit of God, it may be imperceptible to us at the moment in which it is wrought. But what the Bible teaches concerning new birth is that its effects over time are unmistakable. Okay, so when we talk about I might ask the question, for example, sometimes in our membership interviews we ask this question, tell me, how were you born again? How did you come to know the Lord? We're not primarily asking, could you highlight a particular moment in time where you experienced a flash of light and certain emotions and a voice spoke to you from heaven. I'm not asking about all that. The Bible does not teach that we always are cognizant of the fact that we're being born again in the particular moment when we are born again. But what the Bible surely teaches in a number of places is that the effects of the new birth are perceptible over time. They're actually unmistakable. Over time, you can tell if a person has been born again, and the Bible instructs us in how we can tell. We may not be sensible to the reality of new birth taking place at the moment of its inception, but new birth can be perceived over time through the new life it brings about. New affections, new desires, new loves, new resolves, new commitments, a new relationship with God and His Word and the church and even the world. Now, one of the most significant statements in the Bible concerning the effect wrought upon individuals through regeneration and the new birth is in the passage of how you turn to in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's verse 17 that I want us to consider. This is a good text to memorize, a text to return to again and again. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If anyone is in Christ, if anyone at all has been saved, has been united to Jesus, if anyone is in Christ, he is, she is, a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. This work of God, the new birth that he brings about, it creates a new situation for the Christian. He or she is said to be an entirely new creation. And friends, that's not just a figure of speech. Literally, if you were in Christ, you are a new creation, a second creation. You are a new creation in Christ. A great change has occurred, and the outcome of this change is that the old has passed away and the new has come. There's no limit given in the language, like in the original Greek. There's no limit given in the language of the passage to limit what the old and the new are. Uh, Some translations say the old things have passed away. Behold, new things 
have come. It could be that old conduct or behavior has passed away. A new conduct and behavior has come. It could be old affections are done away with and new affections are born. It could be old relationships are severed and new relationships are formed. It could be all these things. There's no reason in the language of the text to limit it. What's emphasized, though, is that a change has clearly taken place. In some sense, it's true. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Well, what does this mean for us? We who are the people of God, what does it mean for you if you are a Christian? It means that as one who has been united to Christ, and that's what's signaled by those words, if anyone is in Christ, that's being in union with Christ, it means that as one who has been united to Christ, as one who has become a Christian, you are, in the truest sense of the phrase, a new creation. God has caused you to be regenerated, to be born anew. And this means you have changed. The old has passed away in your case, and the new has come. From the time when this new life was first given by God's Spirit, from the time when you were first made a new creation, born again, born from above, born of God's Spirit, from the time when this new life began till now, you have been living out the effects of the great change. And again, some of you may not have been cognizant of precisely when the change took place. Some of you perhaps were. And some of you may say, I I think I was born again on such and such a date and such and such a year. That's wonderful. Not necessary to get into heaven. You don't have to show a date. What you do have to show is the effects of the new birth. That you have been changed. That you have been born again. That the transaction has, in fact, taken place. We may not have been cognizant of when it took place, but the Bible clearly teaches that for those who are in Christ, they have been changed. And over time, however slowly, however faintly, they will show the effects of those change, of that change over time. They have passed from death to life. The old has passed away. The new has come. And so if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, I want you to see and appreciate what God has done in your life. You have been born again. You have at the most fundamental and profoundly important level changed. Conversion is not just about getting our act together. Uh, It's not just about agreeing to a few new resolves. Well, I think I'll start going to church. Or, um, sure, I can be okay with the Bible. Sounds fine with me. No, the way the Bible speaks about conversion, about being born again, is not just checking the box on a political survey on whether or not you're like an evangelical voter or something like that. Sure, born again Christian, that's fine. No, to be a born-again Christian means the Spirit of God has exerted His mighty power on you. And the language the Bible uses cannot be more extreme. You've passed from death to life. You've passed from darkness to light. It's it's being born a second time. It's being born by God's Spirit. It's a work that only He can do. He has exerted His mighty power on you. And at the most fundamental level, He has changed you by that mighty power, by that Spirit. And so where once I was animated by my own sinful desires and passions, or by the pleasures of the world, or by the approval of man, now through the new birth, I've changed. God has changed me. God has given me a heart of flesh. God has awakened me to behold and to know and to taste the Savior. To see Him with eyes unburdened and unobstructed by spiritual blindness. The old has passed away. Things are different now. The new has come. And so I hope some of you, as I'm speaking, will take stock of your life and think back on where you were. And not only where you were, but what you might have been if the Lord in His grace had not awakened you. And that you'll be able to testify in all sincerity in the presence of God, I have changed. In my case, the old has passed away. The new has come. The Lord has truly made me to be a new creation. I can remember there was a time in my life, the things that animated my heart, the things that captured my soul, the things that dictated the direction of my life, that's all changed. At some point, I don't know when exactly, but the Lord did a work in my life where all of a sudden, I had an appetite for God and His Word. I wanted the things of Christ. He appeared lovely to me. I began to view those evangelical Christians in churches differently. 
I had a sense of my own belonging among them. I began to experience real love for them. At some point, it, it changed. Now, some of you here may have come to faith so young, you can't remember a time when these things weren't the case. You're just going to have to believe the Bible's record on this, though, that at some point, had you continued in the trajectory of being lost, you never would have had those affections. For all those who are truly in Christ and who are born again, they are a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Brother, sister, you have changed by the work of God. Now, I just want to say as an aside here, this message is designed to encourage Christians here who feel hopeless about themselves and discouraged. I just want to say this, though, as an aside. You may be here this morning. You profess to be a Christian, but as I've spoken to you about this issue of new birth in the Scriptures, as we've read 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. But maybe you profess faith for a number of years, but candidly and honestly, as you survey your own life, you don't detect anything like the kind of change I've been talking about. You have no sense that at some point or over some months or years, there was a great change that was affected, and somehow old affections and old patterns and behaviors and sins passed away, and new things have come. You detect no change whatsoever, and more than that, the people around you may detect no change in your life whatsoever. For you, my friend, this sermon this morning, may it serve as a wake-up call and a mercy from Christ. If, if you don't detect in your life anything like the kind of change the Bible speaks about that we are to experience in new birth, you have no right to think you're a Christian. You might be self-deceived. But the wonderful news I have for you is that the Lord is pleased to give new birth to those who ask it. But if you come to the Lord today and cry out, I, I want this change. I want to be rid of my old sins. I want to desire the word and desire the church. And I want to love the gospel. And I want to see Jesus as lovely. I want to change. I don't want to be who I am. Go to Jesus Christ today. Cry out to him. He answers those kinds of prayers. Lord, cause me to be born again. Cause me to be changed. So work in me that I would love the things you love, that I would see Jesus as lovely, that I would trust in him, and that I would see my sin as exceedingly wicked and that I would turn from it. He's pleased to answer those prayers. And he will change you. Perhaps you're sitting here this morning and you don't profess to be a Christian at all. Uh, maybe you come with your parents. Maybe you're visiting. Whatever. But you don't profess to be a Christian. And nonetheless, if you're being honest with yourself when you look inward, you recognize that there is great sin and darkness in your heart. You're not the person you want to be. There is a deficit between your own notions about what holiness and righteousness and beauty and goodness ought to be and what you find within yourself. Well, the good news for you is that real change is possible. You can be changed. By coming to Christ, you will be changed. It's one of the most wonderful things about the Christian faith. People being regularly transformed by the power of God's Spirit. This church is full of people who, in some cases several years ago, in some cases just a few months ago, were engaged in the most reprehensible kind of conduct you can imagine. And what have we seen in this church? The Lord by His Spirit changing people. Changing people. Not through some... You know, seven-step program of how to get your life together, not by taking a class online or some sort of seminar, or not by, you know, going out in the desert and meditating, but by coming to Jesus Christ in repentance and faith. By being born again and supernaturally transformed and changed by the Spirit of God. By making sinners into a new creation, such that the old passes away, the new has come. You can change. You can change through Jesus Christ. Well, this is the first point. For Christians here, you are in Christ. The truth the Bible says over you and about you is that you have changed. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Now, secondly, you are changing. You are changing. The Bible does not teach that we who are the children of God uh, simply change in a moment at conversion and no further change is undergone after that point. Uh, so the Bible does not teach that we have new birth, you've been changed. And no further change is to be undergone over the course of the Christian life or into eternity. No, the Bible teaches that change is ongoing. I'm going to have us turn to Colossians 3 in just a moment, but I want to read another passage for you 
You don't need to turn there. I'm just going to read to you 2 Corinthians 3, 16-18, to highlight this sort of ongoing change and transformation that is to take place in the life and hearts of the Lord's people. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 16 says this, But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. You caught that, right? Here's this image. It's the Lord Himself. We all with unveiled face, we look upon this image, the glory of the Lord, and it says we are being transformed. It is a present, passive Indicative verb. It's passive. We are being transformed. The Greek word is metamorphometha. Comes from the Greek word that we would get our English word metamorphosis from. We are being metamorphosized. We are being changed. What is a metamorphosis? It's going from one state to another state through a process of change. That's said to happen in the life of Christians in an ongoing fashion. This is not referring to something primarily that has happened in the past. It starts that way, but when one turns to the Lord in the past, the veil is removed. But there is an ongoing sort of transformation that is taking place. We are being transformed, metamorphosized, into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This passage reveals that we as the Lord's people are undergoing continual, progressive, ongoing transformation. We are becoming more like our Lord. We are being transformed into the same image, the image who is Christ, from one degree of glory to another. You see the idea of progress here, of ongoing change and transformation. That is to be the experience of every Christian. It's not just that we have changed. It's that in the present now, we are changing. There is an ongoing transformation that the Lord himself is doing. Well, how does this happen in the Christian life? How is it that we experience sort of an ongoing kind of transformation that is spoken of here? How do we begin to change in this sort of ongoing fashion that causes us to grow from one degree of glory to another? And again, there's an important distinction we need to make, we need to appreciate here. The Bible clearly teaches that believers are undergoing an ongoing kind of change. Now, on the one hand, some passages in the Bible emphasize what God is doing to bring about this change and transformation unilaterally. Some pastors will emphasize what God and His sovereignty, by the power of His Spirit, is doing within us to accomplish His sovereign purposes to bring about transformation in our hearts and our lives. But there's another body of passages, and a far greater number of passages, on the other hand, that emphasize what we do ourselves to bring about this change with God's help. Or the kinds of behaviors, habits, and disciplines that we engage in that have the effect of changing us in an ongoing way. So the Bible calls us to certain behaviors, certain patterns, certain conduct, certain attitudes that we're to engage in actively. That are used of God to bring about the change. So we considered in 1 Peter and in Colossians, and earlier than that in Ephesians, the language of putting off sin and putting on Christ. Those are active imperative verbs. We are to put off sinful ways, dark ways, wicked ways. We're to put on Christian virtues. Uh, John 15, in that glorious passage on discipleship, we're told to abide in Christ, to keep His commandments. There's actions, activities, conduct that we're to engage in in order to experience ongoing change. And there are many texts in the Scriptures that speak in that kind of a way. Well, how do we harmonize these two ideas? On the one hand... I'm being transformed. Passive verb. God is doing something in me. God is making something out of this clay. He's changing me, transforming me. He's exerting power upon me. And yet, all the while, I'm told to do these things that are to be productive to my change and transformation as a Christian. How do we harmonize these things? Well, what we need to appreciate is this. And I do think, for some of us, this can be like a key that unlocks all kinds of blessing for us in the Christian life. If we can wrap our heads around this. 
while it is true that God Himself is changing and transforming us, He does so through certain means. Okay, so if, if I mowed my lawn a couple of days ago, the means through which I did it was through a lawnmower. I was mowing the lawn. I used means to do it. That's what that word means means. While it is true that God Himself is changing and transforming us sovereignly by the power of His Spirit, He is pleased to do so through certain means. He does this, yes, unilaterally, by supplying us with His Spirit. He does this by sovereignly bringing certain influences and providences into our lives. He does this through bringing us to the means of grace. But He does this chiefly through our own discipleship. Through the routine dynamics of daily following Christ. That's a fancy phrase. The routine dynamics of daily following Christ. What do I mean? Having devotions. Reading the Bible and praying. Coming Sunday by Sunday into the gathered worship of the people of God. Pursuing Christian fellowship. Seeking to obey Jesus' commands. To follow his teachings. To put off sin. To live for righteousness. The routine dynamics of Christian discipleship. Following our master. We do this through developing spiritual disciplines and habits. And God is pleased to work through those disciplines and habits to change us. This is a true statement. The way in which God is going to change you in an ongoing fashion and transform you in an ongoing fashion in the Christian life will be through your own effort. That does not deny or abrogate God's sovereignty. What does God sovereignly use to change us? He uses our own sweat. He uses our own exertion. He uses our own effort. God is using it. And He's supplying grace to animate and motivate those exertions. But those exertions will take place nonetheless. So, so sometimes you'll hear people say something like this. Oh, well, the, the problem is I'm working in my own strength. I'm not working in God's strength. And I know what is usually meant by that. We want to work in God's strength. Okay, but, but working in God's strength entails that we work hard. What does it feel like to have God's grace working within you? It feels like trying to bench press your body weight and doing it successfully. It feels like striving, laboring, sweating, working. And you may feel at times you're the only one working, but you will realize with any success that you have over sin through those exertions, yet not I, but Christ working through me. Paul says, 1 Corinthians, I worked harder than anyone else. He did work. But upon review, he realizes, yet it was not I, but the grace of God at work within me. It felt like work. It was work, but that was through the grace that God supplied, sovereignly working to transform the Apostle Paul. And that is how the Lord routinely works in our own lives. It is not through extraordinary epiphanies. It's not through you know, zapping us with some kind of spiritual juice from heaven. It is through the ordinary dynamics of following after Jesus. Sitting under the preaching of God's word, coming to the Bible day by day, seeking to bring into our lives, the influences of godly Christians and brothers and sisters and seeking to go to God in prayer. Those are the ordinary means the Lord uses to transform us, and that is the product of His sovereign work at work within us. You appreciate what I'm saying? God is doing the work in us to bring about change, but we are not entirely passive in the work of change. He is bringing about change through our ongoing, everyday discipleship. So now a passage that I think captures this very well. It's Colossians chapter 3, if you would turn there. Maybe you're turned there already. Colossians chapter 3. We looked at this passage just a few months ago. To encourage you, for the sake of time, I can tell you the third point will not be as long as these first two. Colossians 3, verse 5. Listen to the active, imperative verbs that are put to us. And then also the recognition of what God is doing and God alone is doing. Colossians 3, verse 5. You, Christian, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. 
On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. And I'm supplying this now, but you were changed. You were born again. That used to dominate your life. Verse 8, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and, and you have put on the new self. You've appropriated it to yourself. You have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. You see, the active work of the believer and then that work of God in which the believer is passive. You have put on the new self and that new self is being renewed. It's being changed. We see here that God is doing work of changing us, but that change involves and is accomplished through our actual conscious decisions and choices and our exertions to put off the old self. Those behaviors those attitudes and those sins that characterized our lives and held us captive and in dominion to Satan's work to serve his will. We're not to put those things off, to put on this new self, this new self that God is renewing, transforming, changing. This text teaches us that we have this image. The image is God himself, the creator. We are to be like him. And in order that we would be like him, the Lord has given us a new self, a new identity in Christ. He has made us a new creation. The new self has new affections, a new will, new desires, new resolves, a whole new identity given to us through new birth. But this new self is not just imparted in a way that makes us fully like the Lord immediately. This new self is said to said that it is being renewed. It is being, in some sense, constructed. It is constantly working toward completion and total moral renovation and renewal and transformation, greater and greater likeness to this image, which is, of course, God himself. And that transformation is said to be ongoing in the life of the Christian. But what this passage teaches us is not just that God is renewing this new self, not just that he is the one renewing us, but that we need to appropriate the new self. We need to be engaged. We're not passive in this. We're to engage in putting on Christ and following Him, in obeying Him, and seeking to become more like Him. We must actively, at the level of our wills, renounce the old ways of life and our old selves even and put on the new self. God is renewing us, yes, but His work involves our continual work to put off the old self and to put on the new self. And what we have by this, brothers and sisters, is actual transformation. Actual change that the Lord is pleased to bring about in our hearts and in our lives. Well, what is the main point here? Why did I take pains to explain this distinction? What I want to emphasize, brothers and sisters, is that God has not just changed us at one point in time. He continues to change us even now in the present. He is sanctifying us, renewing us transforming us. And he's doing it through our ongoing discipleship, which is his chief method of change. And this change is said to be moving toward a particular goal. And that goal is to conform us to greater likeness to the Lord himself. What is it that we need to appreciate on this point? We must appreciate that we as Christians were not only changed in new birth and regeneration, but we are now in the present being changed. Now, as you, brother, sister, grow in Christ, you are being renewed, remade, going from one degree of glory to another. We all need to begin to see ourselves this way. Right now, Christian, you are supposed to be changing. There is no Christian here, regardless of your maturity, how long you've been in the faith. The Lord's will for you is that you would continue to undergo transformation and change. Why? Because the image into which we're being changed and transformed is Christ himself. And the deficit between Christ and you is massive. We can always become more like the Lord Jesus. And, and this should sort of govern the way we see our Christian life and our Christian walk. I'm not yet all that I'm meant to be. I'm to be like the Lord in true righteousness. And there's always going to be strides I can make. The Lord wants to change me and transform me more and more. We all need to see ourselves as not having arrived. 
There's not a Christian here who's arrived. All of us are becoming something. You see yourself that way? Yes, I'm saved, praise God. I've been justified, I've been born again. I'm destined for glory, and yet, the Lord's not done with me. There's a work he's doing and bringing to completion. You see the note of progress, uh, the, 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 the inherently positive and constructive movement of God, which is to gain momentum in our lives. We are to be continually transformed from one degree of glory to another. And you may be here, and you may be in your 70s, and you may have walked with Christ for 50 or 60 years. But there are stages of glory yet that you can achieve with the Lord's help. You can be transformed to look even more like the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's his pleasure, it's his work in us to change us. You may be the kind of person who makes resolution, and you might have certain things about yourself you'd like to change. You might see yourself in the mirror and think, I wish that I would lose weight, or I wish that I could build muscle, or I wish that I could change this or that physical feature about myself that uh, makes me feel insecure about myself. You may have different habits in your life you want to change. Uh, Jenna and I read uh, this book, Atomic Habits. I know a lot of people here have read it. Great book, very helpful. Helps you learn how to get up earlier or to exercise better or to bring people kind of in your life who can help you to grow in certain habits and disciplines that are part of God's common grace and very good to aspire to and to achieve. But the work of God, the change that he is supremely invested in within us is to make us more like Jesus Christ. It's to cause us to appear more and more in truth like our Savior. And that should create in us all kinds of excitement and motivation. I'm becoming something. I'm being transformed. God is doing the work, and he wants me to become holier, more righteous, and more like the Lord Jesus. He wants me to grow as a disciple. I am changing. I'm to continue to change. And because of this, friends, this means that none of us, none of us, may be defeatists about our sin. The Lord's will is to make you more like his son. And he's furnished you with all the resources to do so. And his word is that he is ready and willing to change you. You can change. None of us has the license to be hopeless about our sin. If you're a Christian, if you have the spirit of God, if you're a new creation in Christ Jesus, you have no right to be hopeless about your sin. I'll just say, as a pastor, I hear this all the time. Well, I'm always going to be this way, pastor. It's always been this way. Well, my mom was this way. My dad was this way. This is hardwired into my DNA. Yes, but what you don't understand is that you've been born of God's Spirit and you have new DNA. You have the DNA of God Himself. You've been born of God and you can change. When, when we act as though we can't, I don't think people realize it's a soft kind of blasphemy against the Spirit of God. You have the Spirit of God within you and He can change you. You may be struggling with a besetting sin for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. This has always been a factor in my life. But friend, the Lord has revealed that he is pleased to transform you from one degree of glory to another. He'll do it. He'll do it. It won't happen apart from the dynamics of routine Christian discipleship, but he's pleased to do it. You can change. Uh, that kind of sinful anxiety or fear that you wish was not a factor in your life. You can change, and you can be moved to a place of confidence and hope in the Lord. Uh, that, that kind of uh, uh, um, uh, lack of self-control over your speech. You just feel like, I, I'll never be able to get control of my tongue. No, by the Lord's help, you can. Uh, the, 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 the pull I feel to sexual lust and pornography and things like that, I've just always been there, and I don't know that I can ever be freed from that. If you are a child of God, and you've been changed by the Spirit of God, you can change. You can become more like your Lord. The Lord is pleased to change us. Now, as we're saying... Seldom will change happen very fast. There are very few quick growth spurts in the Christian life. Change is slow, but change is nonetheless real. It's not unlike the grass in my backyard. When we moved into our house, uh, the grass in the front didn't look very good, and there was no grass in the backyard. And um, through the help of some brothers here, I've learned a lot about grass. And for some reason, it was an ambition. My first house we'd owned, I wanted to have better grass. And so uh, we cut down some trees in the backyard, and we did all the fertilizer and the aerating and seeding, and we laid down grass seed and all of that. 
And of course, me, growing up in the city and growing up in Miami and never owning a home, I thought, well, you just plant the grass seed and then it springs up in like a couple weeks, right? That's not how it works. Uh, Little by little, grass might grow, and then it withers away in the winter, then it comes back in the spring. And what has happened over the course of five years living in this house, where there was no grass, there now is some grass. It's not as much grass as I would like to see, but it's more grass than there was. Well, it'll be that way in the Christian life. You want to see fruit, you want to see holiness, you want to see progress, right? It will never be as much as you want to see. Hopefully, it'll be more than was there five years ago. More than was there last year. And like my grass, I expect there will be more next year. Similarly, in the Christian life, change is slow. Like with most change in life. Change is slow, but change is real. Change can be achieved. We can plod, brothers and sisters. We can move little by little, two steps forward, one step back toward the image of our Savior. He's pleased to change us from one degree of glory to another. Now, much more briefly, much more briefly, I want to consider a third point, and we'll close here. Christian, you have changed. And secondly, you are changing. And now here, brother, sister, you will change. Please turn to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Whenever I have been sad in my Christian life, which is not at all infrequent, this has been one of the most encouraging passages I've turned to again and again. 1 Corinthians 15. Look at verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. There were many headlines this past week that should produce sorrow in the heart of any conscious, feeling person. The world is so broken and sinful, and there is so much heartache in the world. But what's more, there are many things within ourselves that should produce sorrow within us. I don't think anyone can be truly honest with themselves and not be disillusioned by what they see inside. If you're not in some sense disillusioned with yourself, I just assume you're not being honest with yourself. You've never really done careful introspection of your heart, if you're not in some sense disillusioned with yourself. If you're like me, you look inward and you see so much failure and so much duplicity and so many impure motives. I felt the line of that song, Jesus, lover of my soul, last week. Just and holy is thy name. I am all unrighteousness. False and full of sin, I am. Thou art full of truth and grace. True enough, we have been changed through new birth. And true enough, we are changing through the Lord's ongoing work 
within us the work of progressive renewal and transformation, and yet our sin remains, and we are not what we want to be. Nothing I've said this morning is meant to endorse the doctrine of perfectionism, that we can achieve sinless perfection in this life. The reality is for many of us, the sins that we struggled with at the first, we will struggle with on our dying day. I don't say that to make you defeatist or to contradict anything I've said up to this point in the message. But we will die still struggling with sin. So friends, how we need to be reminded of these words from the Apostle Paul, we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. Growth in the Christian life will be like the grass in my backyard. This change will happen like that. As long as it takes for a bugle to blow, the twinkling of an eye, a moment, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. Well, why does Paul say this to the Corinthian Christians? With all the remaining sin and struggles and corruption that they were struggling with, he wants them to know that it will not always be like this. There's coming a day not far off when we will all be changed. Corruption will put on incorruption. What is perishable, and everything in here, what is perishable will put on the imperishable sin will put on righteousness. There awaits for all of us, after death, one more stage of change. And some of you are beating your head against your remaining sin. You feel very hopeless about yourself today. And you're thinking, how long, O oh Lord? You're struggling with sin and failure. I want to be free of sin. I don't want to be like this. I don't want to have these struggles. I don't want to feel this tension in my own heart. I don't want to be such a faithless disciple, so prone to failure. When am I going to be delivered from this body of death? When will I be truly and finally changed? Well, this is why Paul gives this word to encourage us. We will be changed. There's coming a day when we will be fully and finally changed. Can you, can you even think of what that would be like? I'll sin no more. Never again an impure thought or motive. Never a wicked deed or a wicked word. There's coming a day, brother, sister, you will be fully and finally changed, freed in the fullest kind of a way, the most profound kind of way from every temptation and sin that so easily ensnares you. And this is supposed to work, we're told, by way of motivation in the present. What does Paul say? How does he conclude the passage of verse 58? Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, be immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Work, strive, fight your sin, knowing that one day it's not going to be like this. It's not a perfect illustration, but you might think of a child that was born with some kind of atrophy in the muscles in their legs. Uh, but little by little, they're making progress through a regimen of physical therapy. And, and right now, the child has to wear braces on his legs if he's going to move at all. And he's doing physical therapy day by day, week in, week out. He's striving and he's sweating and he's learning how to walk. And the coach or the physical therapist says to him, you know, listen, there's coming a day it's not going to be like this. One day you're going to run. You're going to walk. Those muscles are going to be enabled to carry you and to do the things that you want to do finally and fully and freely. Now these braces are on your legs, but let's work now. Let's strive now. What does it do for that child to know there's coming a day I'm going to run on the soccer field? without the encumbrances of these braces, without, without my muscles failing me in the way that they're failing me now, what would that do for that child? It would motivate him, encourage him, and excite him, and animate him. I should strive, I should work, I should... There's coming a day. That's the way this passage works in our lives. The knowledge that there is coming a day when our struggle with sin will be no longer. It's to motivate us in the present, to be steadfast, to be immovable, to be encouraged, to labor, and to fight, and to work through the grace that... God supplies. Christian, I have simply wanted us to behold this morning what it is God has done in our lives. What He is doing. 
and what he will one day do. May the Lord help us and enable us to find encouragement in these truths. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, even in reading those verses in 1 Corinthians 15, our hearts groan within us. We so want that day freed from sinning when we will see your face together around the throne. We so long to be rid of temptation. We so long to be freed from remaining sin. There are so many things that assail us and harass us and harm us in this world and within ourselves. We long, we long for that day when we'll be fully and finally free. So Lord, we pray you would hasten that day. We pray you would would fill us with hope for that day and that that would work energy within us in the present. But you have told us, Lord, in your word that your will for us now it's a kind of ongoing transformation where you change us from one degree of glory to another. Would you help us to change? Would you please fulfill your word and work within us to actually change us from one degree of glory to another? And may you help us to see progress. We know there will be seasons where the progress is very little, but it will be progress nonetheless. May you help us to see the ways in which you're working in our lives. Lord, for those of us here, in a sense it's all of us, but especially those who feel to a special degree hopeless and discouraged, comfort them with these truths. May they appreciate and see and understand all that you are doing in their lives by changing them, by making them new and making them whole and healing them of their wounds and making them more and more into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Fill us all with hope of the day when we will be fully and finally free of all sin. Father, we pray that you would encourage those here who are outside of Christ, who so badly want to change, to know that through your Spirit and through what your Son has done on our behalf, they can be saved and they can be changed lastingly, blessedly, forever and ever. Do this for all of us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.